0: Talk and Aliens, the William Clear podcast. At this point, what would you expect her to say? I am William Clear. This is Pop Talk and Aliens, and it is a podcast. And it has been a while since I did an episode. So, if there's anybody left, anybody left listening, or who finds us, thank you for being here. Uh, Pop Talk and Aliens is still, despite uh, never being on, sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's leading provider of audiobooks and you can get a free trial of Audible 30 days and a free audiobook of your choice by going to this very special link audibletrialcom Aliens. that's audibletrialcom Aliens. choose from over 200,000 titles including original Audible entertainment original audiobooks original uh, audio plays audio presentations sort of like uh, the old radio shows except uh, with good acting and good sound quality and good sound effects i i highly urge you to try it out if you do not already have audible audible trial.com slash pop talk and aliens find us on instagram at pop talk and aliens and where you can get every single episode of this uh, show which has been going on for 80 years actually uh, eight years eight and a half years now But uh, a lot of times we talk about Star Wars, and we're going to talk about Star Wars uh, in this episode because it is the birthday, the 40th birthday of Return of the Jedi, originally titled Revenge of the Jedi, until George Lucas decided that uh, a Jedi seeks not revenge, but only to return. And uh, it's funny because uh, as a side note, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan was being made around that same time. And when they heard that uh, Revenge of the Jedi was in production, they changed the name of their movie from Re- The Revenge of Khan to The Wrath of Khan. And, and everybody wins, because that sounds much better. And uh, uh, both fantastic movies. I uh, recently had occasion to be able to see Return of the Jedi in the movie theater with my son, who's never seen an original trilogy movie on the big screen. And uh, it was a fantastic experience. So I want to talk about the movie, talk about its impact, and I want to tell you some things about it uh, that you may not know because there are some some facts about that movie that are exclusive to this one book that was written in the late 90s where they interviewed George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan and everybody and, and talked about that movie along with including the scripts. It's called The Annotated Screenplays. It's out of print, very hard to find. Uh, it's on Amazon sometimes for outlandish prices, uh, but I have it because I bought it at the fucking time. I'm a real fucking Star Wars fan. Unlike these fucking punks who get on YouTube. Pop talk and aliens. The William Clear podcast. Yes, she is right, and she's wonderful, and she just brought me back down to earth. I'm sorry about that. I'm not gonna. Well, I got to get into the fans a little bit because I do want to tell you a couple things real quick, and then we're gonna talk Return of the Jedi. Uh, why is there no Mando season three review for the for the handful of you left listening? with myself and Charles Crabtree. Uh, one is because that season, I, I think, was very weak. And and I don't know that either one of us was clamoring to talk about it. Um, secondly, uh, scheduling, very busy. Charlie, man in high demand. And, and even me, myself, for some reason, I've uh, been, been unexpectedly busy with things that just keep popping up. Um, all is well though. We're fine, you know. Maybe we'll get together and talk about the new season of Skinwalker Ranch, which is we're in the midst of right now, and it's it's fantastic as always. This one's dragging it out a little bit, but it's still it's still great. It's still better than anything alien that you're gonna you're gonna see. So quickly though, there is Star Wars news. If you if you don't follow Star Wars closely like I do, they did have Star Wars Celebration last month in April. And they announced uh, a couple of projects. They announced that they're going to be making movies again. Now they've announced movies dozens and dozens of times uh, over the years that have not come to fruition. There was going to be a Boba Fett movie. I guess that turned into a show. There's gonna be a Yoda movie. There was gonna be a movie by the guys from Game of Thrones. There was gonna be a Ryan Johnson trilogy. There was gonna be a Taika Waititi movie. There was gonna be a movie uh, by Patty Jenkins called Rogue Squadron. None of those, none of them. None of them have seen the light of day. So take this with a grain of salt, although I I do think that at least one of these will be made. And that is the premiere announcement that Dave Filoni will be writing and uh, I think directing, at least producing, a Star Wars movie that will uh, be the culmination of The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and the upcoming Ahsoka show, which looks very exciting. I'm very excited about that. Despite uh, The Mandalorian season three being somewhat of a downer, I mean, there were great moments in it. There were great sequences in it. There were, there, were, there were a couple of really good episodes. I don't know. It was all over the fucking place, though. It was just, it was all over the place. Uh, that So that movie, some people are excited about, although some people have uh, sort of soured on Dave Filoni because he doesn't uh, respect the canon enough. Because uh, if something happened in a comic book, like he'll slightly change it for a TV show or for the Bad Batch or something. Also, the Bad Batch just finished. That was was good, too. So it's it's not all lost when it comes to Star Wars, although the fans would have you believe otherwise because of this next announcement. So there's the Dave Filoni movie. It's going to take place right after Return of the Jedi. Mando, Ahsoka, Boba Fett, all that stuff. But the other movie they announced, which uh, almost caused the world to burn, was that Daisy Ridley will be returning as Ray, Ray Skywalker, if you will, to a movie that will take place after 15 years after the uh, the sequel trilogy? <clears throat> now, I for one, I don't mind seeing Daisy Ridley play Ray again. Um, I actually kind of miss those characters, to be honest. I-, I realize that that can get me crucified upside down. By Star Wars fans online for saying that, but I actually don't mind it. What I do mind is that when asked what it's going to be about, Kathleen Kennedy said it was going to be about her rebuilding the Jedi Order and what do the Jedi mean to the galaxy at this point and are they still relevant? And and I I I, I you got to take what Kathleen Kennedy says and and just put it to the side because like she's not writing this shit. But I just. I just don't like her chiming in about stuff like that. I don't like the sound of that. I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't know. Damon Lindelof, who wrote Lost and the the fucking Star Trek, couple first couple of J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, he wrote a script for this movie and then he got fired. So somebody else is writing it. Uh, I don't know. Daisy Ridley, they brought her out at Celebration to yeah, very welcoming applause. The, the, it's not like she brought the house down. I. She got enough applause, though. It made me feel good because that... that Look, you can think what you want about the sequels, all right? I don't like them, but I don't hate them. But I will tell you this. It's not fucking Daisy Ridley's fault. Even if you hate them with the passion of a thousand Tatooine sons, it's not her fault. If you look at what she had to do as an actor, think about this. It comes into movie one. Here's her character. She doesn't have a backstory. We don't know. She's waiting for her parents, something like that. Is, there's some vague flashbacks and a vague flash sideways and a flash forward when she touches a lightsaber. Don't worry about it. Okay. Turns into good performance. Next movie. This different guy comes along. He says, uh, yeah, right. She's she's from nobody. She's nothing. She's from nowhere. We're gonna do that. Uh well, what the fuck was that? Um I, and 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 she acts that role completely consistent with the role she played in the first movie. So she's just discovering herself. Then, after that movie, original director comes back and says, I didn't like that last movie at all. I'm going to go back to what the original movie was, except this time, now you're going to be the emperor's granddaughter, and you're going to have to find that out, even though you already, fa- you already found out that you were nobody, and you had to react to that. I'm going to make you react again to your lineage. And this time, it's going to be even worse. And she played it fantastic. If you watched all three of those movies and you didn't know that there was all this disconnect, you certainly wouldn't pick it up from her performance. It's great. So whether or not that movie actually gets made, I don't, we'll see. But, you know, it, it sent the internet ablaze with negativity because people still hate those sequel movies so much. They hate them so much. They just want to see that stuff fail. So in a way, they're sickly happy. That, that movie's being made so that they can dance around the flames of it if it fails. I don't understand, objectively, objectively, I don't understand why they're making that movie because of the fact that seemingly the, the sequel movies are not popular at all. Much like the prequels were not popular when The Force Awakens came out, but it's way worse for the sequels. I don't. I just don't see it. The only thing I can think of And I I don't know that Disney is smart enough to look at things like this, but I I would hope that they would have people that are. If I can fucking think of it, I would certainly think they could. Perhaps they look at the metrics of Disney Plus and they're seeing that, you know what? A lot of people watch the sequel trilogy. As a matter of fact, it's killing it. We're not going to tell anyone that because they'll think we're just making it up, but uh, it, it actually is killing it. And so let's make another Ray movie. I don't know. Or maybe they're just deciding, you know what? People didn't like the prequels for decades, and then you know, then people started loving. Now everyone loves the fucking prequels. Even those people that didn't, they pretend they did, they do, and they they try to revisionist history the whole thing. Tons of like videos and shit about like prequel hate wasn't as bad as people thought. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That I was writing. I was so mad about how much people hated the prequels because I loved them that I was writing as Charlie Crabtree, and I talked about in in, in our last episode, which was a clip from another episode, but nevertheless. I was writing like these manifestos, these pamphlets. I called them books at the time, but I don't know if 25 pages can qualify as a book. But nevertheless, manifestos, pamphlets that were uh, very anti people that didn't like the prequels. And uh, and the reason I did that was because there were so many people that didn't like the prequels that I, I felt I had to lash out. And I, there were no podcasts back then. There certainly was internet back then, but it was like message boards and stuff. There was no YouTube. Otherwise, I would have been on some platform screaming about it. But manifestos, pamphlets, flyers, whatever you want to call them, books. So prequel hate was a real thing. Sequel hate is a very real thing, but I I just don't know how they're making this decision. Anyway, third movie that they announced. Uh, Who's directing the Ray movie? Uh, I don't remember uh, the 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 woman's name. Uh, I, I, all I can tell you is that she is not famous. Uh, she has directed like commercials and stuff or cartoons, 3D. She's this is like going to be her first time doing a feature film for the third movie. The, and the only reason I know I remember this guy it's not because they're men and she's a woman that I remember. I remember Dave Filoni because he's Dave Filoni. He's the student of George Lucas. You know, he's the the creator of of uh, Rebels. He had so much to do with Clone Wars, Ahsoka, Mandalorian. Obviously, I know who Dave Filoni is. And uh, the other guy with the third movie that I'm about to tell you about, the reason I know who he is is because he directed and wrote the last Indiana Jones movie, which is getting worse reviews than the fucking Indiana Jones movie before it, which people hated so much. South Park did an entire episode. that was nothing but George Lucas and Steven Spielberg graphically Raping Indiana Jones. That's how much they hated that movie. And so many other people did too. Apparently this one's worse. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Written and directed by James Mangold. Who is uh, apparently now working on a movie about the dawn of the Jedi. Which takes place about 25,000 years before The Phantom Menace. And will all be about how the Jedi were created. Now this also set the internet ablaze with flames of, of fury. Because... Obviously, if he's writing a movie like that and Ray's rebuilding the new Jedi Order in her movie, that obviously means the Jedi are going to change. Disney is going to change the Jedi uh, and go away from George Lucas's wishes. I don't know where you come to that conclusion, but that's the conclusion that's been come to. I try to stay out of this fandom stuff. It's done me very well. It's served me well emotionally, mentally. Uh, but when these announcements were made, I, I had to take the temperature and the temperature was not good. Even the Filoni movie, people are like, "Eh, we'll see, I don't know, Disney, it's kind of too late. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Disney's done some kick-ass job with Star Wars, but I will tell you that recently, other than Mando 3 being not great, I mean, I don't think it was horrible, but it's not up to its own standards. Bad Batch was very good. Andor was probably the best thing, certainly the best thing, in my opinion, that they've done on television, even including The Mandalorian. Or Tide. It's somewhere around there. It's it's like as good or better. It's just, it's very different. So it's hard to compare them. But th- those are the two best TV things. And then you got like, for me, Rogue One. So it's right up there with the best of Disney. Star Wars. So the fact that everyone's, people are pe- people are mad because they think Dave Filoni is going to reinterpret a series of novels that came out in the 90s called, uh, the Thrawn Trilogy, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. Three books. That they, they essentially were the seven, eight, nine of the Star Wars uh, six movies. It, the, I mean, they were not ever, ever, not even close to being like official, actual Star Wars gospel, like this is what George Lucas wanted those movies to be. Not at all. He was just like, yeah, go ahead. You can make, make those three. That's fine. But uh, all the kids now in their 30s, they all grew up with those fucking books, and uh, they're all mad that Dave Filoni is going to remake you know, some version of Heir to the Empire, because Thrawn, the villain of those books, is going to be the villain of this movie and of the Ahsoka series. Lastly, but uh, certainly not least for these fans, the Galaxy Star Cruiser Hotel experience from Disney uh, is closing due to total lack of interest. And uh, apparently, I don't know, it costs like $6,000 a night, a week, a stay or something like that. It was outrageously priced, this thing. And uh, nobody was going, and so they're, they're closing it, and uh, people that hate Disney Star Wars couldn't be happier. And the thing about, uh, and I'll get off this subject in a, in a minute, but uh, the thing about Disney Star Wars hating people is well number one they, they do it because they make money off it. you know no one wants to hear a guy like me weighing uh, the goods and bads and pros and cons of what Disney has put out in terms of Star Wars. Uh, same same as when I get together with with Crabtree, you know we talk about it and it's like this balance no no one wants to hear that shit. They either want to hear you know that it's great, the, the, the happy few that want to hear that. and then the mob, wants to hear how bad it is, and they want to hear you rooting against it actively. And then there's like a few people like us in the middle. The thing about a- actively rooting against it, actively rooting against Disney Star Wars, you're, you're, just, you're just rooting against Star Wars. And, and the hope, I guess, is that, well, they'll they'll figure it out and they'll get it right. But, but that's not what their end game is. Their end game is that they want... Lucasfilm to be sold to another company. And they think that if you sell it to another company, that that company is not going to act like a fucking company that's trying to make money. Like Lucasfilm prior to Disney, when George Lucas put pen to paper for the prequels, he didn't give a fuck what the fans thought. He, he never cared about that shit. And He put his own money into it and he got his own money back. And the Phantom Menace made a shit ton of money. But Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, they did great. But they did not do, like relative to what people think, they didn't do that kind of box office. They didn't even win their years. They were beaten by uh, the Two Towers beat Attack of the Clones. I think Spider-Man also beat Attack of the Clones. And the Lord of the Rings, whatever, Return of the King, I guess it was by that point, beat... Uh, Revenge of the Sith. So they did not even win like their respective years at the box office. They were not that popular at the time. And George Lucas, he he wasn't this darling of, uh, of the fans who, who was catering. He, he didn't cater to the fans at all. I mean, he, he put stuff in there that fans hated. Already went over that. So I don't need to go over it again. But there's a, a very unhealthy George Lucas worship that's taken over the Star Wars community Uh, which includes all kinds of revisionist history because it's by younger people who grew up with... I know how get off my lawn I sound right now, I don't care. Get off my cloud car. Uh, People that are are in their 30s now or late 20s, they grew up with these uh, expanded universe novels, they grew up with the prequels, and they grew up with the special editions of Star Wars. They, they, They don't even... I don't even know how many of them have actually seen... Like the original Star Wars, where it doesn't say Episode Four. They talk about his big one through nine plan. It wasn't even called Episode Four when it came out in the movie theaters in 1977. It was just called Star Wars. It's all it was called. Just said Star Wars. And then when the crawl started, it said, Is a period of civil war. Did not say Episode Four, A New Hope. You can look it up. It's true. But I think that generationally, because of those people having grown up with this sort of warped new school George Lucas thing, uh, this idea, idolization of him, which, by the way, I I idolize the guy too. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking about this stuff if he didn't create it. There's a fucking picture of him in my living room. I have this little like sideboard thing with all these like curios. (laughs) I don't know. Just like weird stuff that I've collected. And one of them is like this big George Lucas coffee table book. So you see his face right when you walk into my house. So relax. I love the guy. Uh, but he's not on. He's not without flaw. And, uh, you know, he's not perfect. And he re-released the Star Wars movies with all kinds of weird stuff. And he printed over the original negatives. So you can't even get those. Can't even this. A lot of older fans think that there's like, you know, oh if we could just get our hands on the original negatives, uh, there's a South Park about this, too. Um, You know, we'd be able to uh, restore them. No, the original negatives don't exist. The best you're going to get is the 2006 uh, DVD, which included the original releases as bonus features, and those were from the Laserdisc scans from the early 90s, because that is the best quality version of those movies that they have. So, let's get to Return of the Jedi, shall we? because all of this honestly this this whole new rage against Star Wars thing it it and the Mandalorian not being great giving uh, these fans like all this food to just tear apart Disney Star Wars and Star Wars is dead I know we've been through it before this own podcast I had an episode the uh, aforementioned many times Charles Crabtree were it was called a funeral for the Star Wars franchise and it was like 2018 so it was like five years ago and it it didn't die then and it's not going to die now but it you know it just it gets very exhausting very exhausting so let's travel back in time and talk about Return of the Jedi which by the way was the first of the Star Wars movies ever to create a bit of a rift within the fandom because the criticisms of it were uh, a second death star bankrupt of ideas uh Jabba's palace rescue takes like 45 minutes uh ewoks were not loved they were not loved little cute animals that help destroy the the empire i mean obviously you know we get what he's doing there it's the the indigenous you know natural, uh, asymmetric warfare of the natives against the big mechanical superpower. I get it. You know, it's fine and all that. But what really sells that movie and what makes that movie still a classic and what, what made I think most people love it who did love it, it's really, this occurred to me while I was watching it um, in the theater. Ian McDiarmid as the emperor really Really fucking sells that movie. He's so evil. And we haven't seen him before... Despite a brief appearance in Empire Strikes Back. Which again... In the original was not Ian McDiarmid. It was, it was someone else with a, a, a... It's like a woman's face with a baboon. Anyway. Uh, now if you watch it, it's Ian McDiarmid. Because he reshot. George Lucas reshot the scene... And put Ian McDiarmid in it. Changed the dialogue... To a lot of fans consternation but uh the prequel kids they love it because there's their beloved emperor but nevertheless in his first appearance ever on screen return of the jedi in real life he absolutely sells that movie with his evilness that you honestly believe that luke skywalker might turn that this guy is so persuasive he's so evil and he's manipulating him at such a high level that he might turn to the dark side purely out of rage, not out of choice the way Anakin did in Revenge of the Sith, not by sitting, you know, falling to his knees and making a conscious choice that, okay, I'll become Darth, whatever, but sheerly out of provoking him and provoking him and provoking him to the point where he, he teeters on the edge of his dark side by damn near killing his own father. And then... After he has, you know, made it so that Darth Vader cannot fight, cuts off his hand, looks at his own hand, realizes the similarities, and how you can slowly go to the dark side. And then he throws away his lightsaber, he tells his mortal enemy, I'm not going to kill this man, I am a Jedi, like my father before me. And by the way, there is some debate about whether Luke is a Jedi in uh, Return of the Jedi he is at that point not before uh, he introduce, he introduces himself earlier in the movie to jabba as a jedi and everything but he's not yoda specifically tells him you know luke says so i am a jedi and yoda's like oh no 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 no, no. you must face you must face vader only then a jedi will you be so once he faces vader strikes him down throws away his lightsaber and says, I am a Jedi. He knows at that point that he is now past his trials and he is a Jedi. And that is the return of the Jedi in one sense, and then the other return of the Jedi in another sense is when Darth Vader gets up after the Emperor says, you know, well, fuck you, Jedi. It's not actually the line. He says, so be it, Jedi, and he lightning force lightnings him. And Luke is is, you know, begging for mercy. Darth Vader picks up the Emperor, Throws them down the shaft. Uh, that is also the return of the Jedi because that's the return of Anakin Skywalker, so it's got a double meaning. I would like to tell you now uh, why. Just to uh, you know, I, I I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but the Last Jedi, the 2017 movie that really started to to break the Star Wars fandom. The reason, in my opinion that that movie, that there are so many problems with that movie, is that the Luke Skywalker that did what I just described, tossing his lightsaber away and saying, I am a Jedi, I'm not going to kill this guy no matter what you do, and you can't turn me, that someone, even in the knowing that the Emperor is going to kill him, and even for in Luke in that movie, his impression of things at that point is that the rebellion is, is getting their asses kicked in that battle and that they're not going to win and that death star is going to be destroyed even says soon i'll be dead and you along with me because he's like this is a lost cause but i'm not I, even with all of that happening i am not giving into the rage i'm not killing my father i don't care if he turns good i mean he cared but you know it's like it's not about if he turns good or not it's i'm just not going to kill him knowing that he's going to face death from the emperor if not death from death star or both that character being, locking himself away on an island 30 years later because of Kylo Ren having nightmares that he could sense, th- that doesn't add up. It could possibly add up if we saw everything happen, not just a flashback of him and Kylo Ren, but if we if we saw the 30 years of Luke's journey and it finally ended up in that, maybe, maybe. But you can't have all that stuff happen off screen and then just say, well, uh, Kylo Ren was so powerful. He was going to kill everyone for a fleeting second. I thought about killing him and then eh, it went away because I'm Luke Skywalker. You know, but I do have a little dark side of me because my dad was Darth Vader. I mean, you can make all of these reasons for why he did that. But if you look at the end of Return of the Jedi, it was the only time when I was at the movie theater that I actually thought about the sequel trilogy at all. The whole time I was watching that movie, I was just watching it as that movie, the movie that I grew up with, which again is another generational thing that I think younger people don't, they don't, I'm lucky to have that and they don't have that. It doesn't make me better than them. It's just that they did not get the experience of growing up with these movies on their own and just being able to watch them as their own thing and not have to have all this tie into... Oh God, you know, they ruin Luke Skywalker by making him go on an island in Last Jedi and, and suck green milk out of a tit. That, that, who fucking cares? These are, the, these are the movies that I grew up with. These are the movies that, that spawned my love for Star Wars. And, and the rest of what we get now, to me, good or bad, it's it's just all bonus add-ons. I can take them or I can leave them. I can eat one of them or I can eat none of them. When that When it's good... It makes me happy to my core. When it's not good, I, I all I think about is, fuck, now the fans are going to get all pissed off. But me, personally, I'm not like disappointed because I got to grow up with all this. But Nevertheless, the Luke Skywalker who did that in that movie, when I saw that scene in Return of the Jedi when he said, you know, you failed. He tells the Emperor to his face, you failed. He even calls him your highness. He's a fucking asshole about it. You failed, your highness. That that guy is to that guy is not going to be intimidated by Kylo Ren's nightmares. It's just like that's just that's going to be a walk in the park from what he did with with Darth Vader and the Emperor. That's the only time I thought about. I thought, yeah, Last Jedi is just not doesn't really work. But uh, you know what I do want to do? Uh, getting away from my opinions because Jesus Christ, how long has it been already to this podcast? want to tell you some things you might not already know about Return of the Jedi. Because one thing that I noticed in the very beginning, I've seen that movie probably a couple hundred times in my life, and I never noticed that when uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are walking to Jabba's palace, C-3PO says, poor Lando Calrissian and Chewbacca never return from this awful place. Uh, I don't understand why he says Chewbacca there. And I've seen that movie a couple hundred times and never noticed that he says Chewbacca because Chewbacca has in fact not been brought to Jabba's palace at that point yet. He gets brought in. Lando's already there, but you know, he went in first because he's in disguise and he does one of the great disguise reveals in film history where he pulls gently down on the bottom of his mask and arches his head up so you can see who he is real quick, right for the camera. Uh, But Chewbacca was not there yet. So, uh, Anyway, there were some other differences, uh, other things that, that uh, happened in the beginning of that movie that uh, never saw the light of day, never saw the silver screen. That line did, I, again, I don't, I don't understand it, but, uh, and I don't understand why I never noticed it. But uh, this is something from the annotated screenplays that uh, I think is very interesting about what was going to be the beginning of Return of the Jedi. And it says, uh, in the rough draft, After the crawl, a pan down reveals the planet of Had Abaddon, the capital of the Galactic Empire, which we now know as Coruscant. And why is it called Coruscant? Because Timothy Zahn named it that for his goddamn Heir to the Empire books. And George Lucas begrudgingly used it in Phantom Menace just to remain consistent with the publishing, what he referred to as publishing. He's also referred to the Star Wars Extended Universe novels as an alternate Reality. So he didn't really care that Timothy's on had a different name for it, but he figured, eh, well, well, let's just keep it that instead of had Abaddon. The planet is completely covered by cities, it's like Horsons, and is shrouded in a sickly brown haze. Orbiting the polluted planet is the Green Moon. The film begins with the arrival of Grand Moff Jajarad, Vader's rival. Vader joins Jajarad aboard his Imperial shuttle, and they discuss his activity taking place on the Green Moon. Apparently Had Abaddon is overpopulated, and according to Dejared, the green moon is being cleaned to eventually become a new paradise. Vader says that he's felt a rebel presence on the green moon. Dejared is offended by this remark because it undermines his authority, and he refuses to believe it. Now, the movie obviously does start with Moff Dejared, but he's not Vader's, um, what did they call him in here, his rival? No, he's not his rival at all. He's, he's, he's his underling, strictly. Uh, Going on in the book here, it says, Meanwhile, Leia, a scruffy old pilot, and a young co-pilot are aboard a stolen Imperial transport and nearly hit Jajarad's shuttle. They've come to set up on the green moon in preparation for the arrival of the the Rebel Fleet. They wait anxiously for clearance, afraid that the code they gave might not be current. Leia seems concerned. She heard from Lando that Han is alive, but she still doesn't know how difficult it will be to free him. They identify themselves as equipment and construction personnel from Moonbase 7 and finally get the clearance to get through. So that obviously they use that later when Han Solo and uh, Luke and Leia and all them are getting to the, uh, the the forest moon of Endor. But in this movie, in this version of the screenplay, that all happened right in the beginning and they, did, they weren't going to Jabba's Palace. He didn't even know if he was still alive. Uh, continuing, if you don't mind, if you will. In the revised rough draft, after the opening and the reveal of two Death Stars in in construction, we cut to Wedge, the rebel pilot from the two previous films, who is undercover flying one of the TIE fighters, escorting Vader's superstar destroyer. Suddenly a ship begins to wobble. Wedge struggles with the controls and starts panicking. Calls Leia, who is aboard the stolen Imperial transport. Wedge gets out of range, and despite the fact that this may attract attention to them, Leia decides to go after him. The controller from Vader's Star Destroyer calls them, saying that they're moving out of their flight path. The controller is suspicious and asks for the security code. While they wait for clearance, Wedge's fighter is towed in. As in the previous draft, Leia and the rebel pilot have a discussion about Han. There's a tense moment where Grand Moff to Jared's shuttle approaches at great speed, and Leia thinks it's a boarding party that has come to inspect them. Uh... Very interesting uh, beginning to that movie and also interesting is in, in the book Aftermath, which is in quote unquote Disney canon, um, which sort of replaces the heir of the Empire as the events that directly uh, happened after uh, Return of the Jedi. They actually have that whole thing with Wedge getting towed in by an Imperial Star Destroyer and stuff, which is pretty interesting that they took that from uh, discarded script. So, as we all know, uh, there is only one Death Star. Currently, Lawrence Kasdan convinced Lucas that one is enough. Probably too many, anyway. Let's just have one. And let's have the movie start with that rather than this whole green moon business. And we'll just, you know, we'll get to the green moon. But the Empire ended with Han Solo being frozen and them all making their rendezvous plans. So, why are we going straight to uh, people stealing Imperial ships and flying around with codes when. We kind of promised at the end of the last movie that the first thing we were going to do, first order of business, was going to be to free Han. So, they cut all that shit and went straight to Jabba's palace. But but before that, they did actually have a scene that they shot. You find this on YouTube, or even I think in the deleted scenes of Return of the Jedi, which is, uh, you can find, I don't know, you find that on YouTube, whatever. There's a scene where Luke is actually making uh, his lightsaber. He's in a cave on Tatooine, and R2's like standing guard. And Vader is contacting him through the Force, much like the uh, your, your favorite Last Jedi. Um, Vader's talking to him, and Luke's just sort of ignoring him, and he's making this lightsaber, and then he ignites the green, and, and that's the first time you see his green lightsaber. That uh, also cut. There was also a sandstorm that uh, was causing problems for everyone to get back to the Millennium Falcon, which they filmed, and was also cut. Apparently they, they it was just like there, you can see that deleted scene. Also, it's it's like you can see why they cut it. You can't even like see what's happening. It's like just sand. It's just a sandstorm. So that obviously cut, and uh, we didn't. We just head straight into Jabba's palace. Um, when talking about the special editions, we uh, we cannot ignore the fact that there's a musical number. That takes place in Jabba's palace. That uh, is looks awful, sounds awful. Um, I, I think most people agree on that. I, I've never met a human being, or even seen one online, even pretending that they actually like that. The thing that's weird is that George Lucas has talked about how he wanted to have a musical number in Jabba's palace originally, but he did originally. Like, there's a there's a there's a creature singing in the original. Return of the Jedi. There's a there is a musical number. I guess it just wasn't as big or as fake as George Lucas wanted it to be. So, uh, what he says in this book is uh, the scene in Jab. This is written in 1997. The scene in Jabba's palace was supposed to have a big musical number, but unfortunately, we ended up with only a couple of shots. Now, thanks to digital technology, we're able to turn this scene into the real music number that it was supposed to be in the first place. John Williams did a new score for the end music and felt it was okay to have someone else do the musical number because it was so different from the rest of the score. Uh, Then Rick McCallum, who did not produce Return of the Jedi, produced the prequels, but he's chiming in on Return of the Jedi here, says, uh, oh, because I guess he worked on the special editions. We've added more musicians to the band. We have about 11 of them now. We have three backup singers. Sice Noodles moves like Mick Jagger, and there's an alien male singer next to her who sounds like Joe Cocker. We have a drummer with eight arms, a guitar player, etc. The whole number is about two minutes. All right, so uh first of all and this is true they uh they asked elton john to write that song and he politely declined he, d- he did not want to write a musical number for a star wars movie uh, i don't know who did write it but it, it wasn't john williams john williams did write rewrite the ending music it was originally the ewok singing uh yub Nub, and it was replaced by like flutes and this fucking rockin bass line which, another thing that i've never really noticed until i saw it in a, again in a movie theater you know, just a few weeks ago with the with the subwoofer all pumped up, is that there is a fucking grooving bass line during what comes across as a more mellow version of the Yub song that was in the original Return of the Jedi. Special Edition has this, like, pan flute-type thing going on, and then the strings come in, and it sounds very uh, finale-esque. But in the beginning part, when the flutes playing, and there's like you know congas and weird uh, you know world instruments playing for for the Ewoks, there's this bass line that's just going. Just this is fucking. It's it's uh it's quite something, and John Williams did did write that. He he wrote that he wrote that bass line, so that's uh that's the ending music. That those are the only changes to the music that uh, that I'm aware of, which is good because. You know the Star Wars movie music soundtracks by John Williams need not be changed uh, or have musical numbers added to them. There was already one in there, uh, but let's move on. Let's get let's see uh, how much more of this the the Jabba's Palace stuff. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Slave Leia, or they call well, they they don't call it that. It's not cool to call it that anymore. You have to call it a uh, Hut Slayer Leia. That's the official name now. I, yeah, anyway, um, Nilo Rodas uh one of the uh, designers on the movie, said, uh, George always talked about a slave girl outfit. I kept thinking, how am I going to do this in style? I mean, this is Leia. I actually struggled with that for a long time. And all I kept coming up with is a clunky Ben-Hur kind of thing. One day, I happened to see a sculpture that I really liked. And as soon as I saw it, I thought my problem was solved. I did a full-size wax piece of the costume, taking dimensions from Carrie Fisher. We tested on it. We tested it on her, and it looked great, and that was it. And then Lucas said, uh, "Usually, if I like something and I have to drop it, I put it on the shelves, and very often end up using it somewhere else later on." The thing about writing is that ideas aren't precious. You have to get over the thought that everything you think of is brilliant. When you, I wish you would have thought that about the musical number, but whatever, that's fine. Uh, when you have to think of something, you have to be willing to throw it away. Most important. Uh, more important, and to think up the idea in the first place, is to be able to reject it if it doesn't work, if it doesn't fit. You have to be very hard on yourself, and when you write a script and only use things that are symmetrical to the center of your story, you should never use an idea just because it's a cute idea." I just gotta say one more time, I wish you'd done that with the musical number, but any, any, anyway. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, what he was referring to there. Uh, he wasn't referring to the Slave Leia girl outfit, uh, hut Slayer, whatever. Sexy Leia, can we call it? How about, how about that? Sexy Leia, sexy Leia. I mean, it is kind of objectively pretty sexy. She's wearing hut Slayer Leia. Really? Like that's what the outfit's about? It's about her killing Jabba. Oh, it's she, she looks great. She's in a terrible situation, obviously. You don't want her to have to wear that against her will. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying she looks good in it. That's all. Moving forward with uh, more little-known facts about Return of the Jedi, and obviously, uh, you know, there's lots of stuff about Jabba's palace because they're in there for a really, really long time. Um, let's talk a little more about the rough draft of that, though, before we move on to the, the rest of the movie, because this is kind of interesting. In the rough draft, Chewie, Lando, Han, Chewie, and Lando are in a cell before they're brought to Jabba. R2 discreetly opens one of his small doors and reveals two small blasters. Solo and Lando grab the weapons, hide them, and are taken to Jabba. They're put on trial with Luke and Jabba orders that they be taken to the Sloth pit. Han is upset at Luke and calls him plain stupid. Now he says they're all gonna die. The only difference in the revised rough draft is that R2 doesn't carry hidden weapons. In the second draft, however, the scene is a bit longer with more humorous dialogue between Luke and Han. Luke, for example, says that the only reason he managed to kill the Rancor is because it was a small one. Also Han, who can't see anything as a result of being a carbon free, says, I'll believe that when I see it, if you'll excuse the expression. Uh I don't I don't know if you would call that funny, but I guess it's I guess it's a joke. I think I'll believe it when I see it, and just leaving it, that would have been funnier, but none of it made it, so what the fuck do I care? I'm critiquing dialogue that wasn't used. Who do I think I am? A Star Wars YouTuber? Uh, Anyway, there's another thing I wanted to to mention about uh, that whole thing with um, Han and Luke showing up and everything. I've talked at length about on this podcast with Charlie Crabtree about Luke's whole plan, about how his plan seems to be just sending people one by one into Jabba's palace to be captured, and then ultimately he will show up and free them all at the Sarlacc pit. Not sure if that's all. If that's like end to end how he drew it up, or if it was just like, well, you go in, and if you can't stop him, you go in, and if you can't stop him, you go in, and then if I, if you guys all can't stop him, then I'll come in there and I'll use a Jedi mind trick, and we'll all get out of there. I, I'm, I'm I'm I've never been sure of what exactly Luke had in mind, like at the start of that. But there is one thing, and again, you know, I I notice these things more when I'm talking about Star Wars because of the fact that people are so harsh on the new stuff they criticize everything that it occurred to me that in the uh and again this isn't something that occurred to me when i was watching the movie it was later uh when i was watching it i was just fucking enjoying it which is what i do even with new star wars i i just i enjoy what i enjoy and if i don't like something it's like i just kind of leave it there i don't like sit there and chew on it um but i did think about the fact that luke Never at any point during the Rancor fight, he never uses the Force. Even when he goes to, like, he doesn't use the Force to bring the gate down on the Rancor. He doesn't even use the Force to, 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 he picks up that skull to, to throw at the power switch, which knocks the gate down and kills the Rancor. He doesn't use the Force to, like, direct the skull to the thing he just fucking throws it he just like throws a fastball right at the thing and breaks it which i i I think is interesting and i think if that happened in a movie now uh the writer would be again crucified upside down because how dare you how dare you uh be so disrespectful of the goddamn force now let's get on to the uh, sarlacc sequence something lawrence kasdan said In the Sarlacc sequence, I thought we should have one of the heroes go down to prove the Sarlacc was for real. I suggested that Lando be killed, but George Lucas didn't want anyone to die except for the villains. I thought it would have been a real surprise to the audience if someone we cared about died and had been killed by the Empire. Now, there's a couple of examples of Lawrence Kasdan doing that. He's always wanting to kill main characters. He wanted to kill Lando, and Lucas said no. And then uh, later on, he wanted Han to die, uh, like in the Endor battle, because he thought you know again like let's raise the stakes if someone dies then then we know that like it's it's the real thing and lucas said look man nobody's dying all right this is a fucking fairy tale movie it's a space opera and at the end of the movie i want everybody hanging out happy uh, you know job well done time well spent you did you did great and and that's it it's a happy ending we don't need to kill anybody just to prove that, like you know, yes, they're evil. We can tell, like they would kill them if they could. We don't need to actually have them kill them. And I, I, I appreciate that greatly about Return of the Jedi, about the way it wraps up the saga. Look, we, Kenobi, Ben Kenobi in Episode Four had to die because he has to become a Force ghost and everything. And yes, it like you know it does all that raising the stake stuff, but. It's more as a function of the story to get him into being a force ghost so that he can guide Luke that way. He's not really dying just to up the stakes or whatever. But, I mean, it, it does that, but that's not what it's there for. Uh, you know, in Empire, who, who dies? Pilots, Dak, uh, you know, Han Solo doesn't die. He just gets frozen. He gets tortured. He's tortured, but he doesn't die. Uh, Yoda dies, obviously, in Return of the Jedi. So there, there's your death. But I know he's not, you know, and Lawrence Kasdan's talking about getting killed by a villain to give the villains more weight. Yoda dies because he's old and also so that he can say, you know, you'll be the last of the Jedi to Luke. Hence, uh, Return of the Jedi. Let's, let's get out of Jabba's Palace. Anyway, what is this, the real movie? We got to talk about Jabba's Palace for an hour? Let's get to some of the good stuff i was telling you about ian mcdermott and how incredible uh, the emperor is and I, how I, I really think he sells that movie because if you take him out of it it's like they're in goofy Jabba's palace and then they have a meeting about attacking the death star and then you see another death star run now albeit that space battle fucking a it still holds up ladies and gentlemen on the big screen it still holds up there's like two or three shots where it looks kind of painted on but the, I, I know that they did enhance some of it with CG and everything, but like for the most part, they're still using the same shots as they used in the original, and it still looks so good. But so we would get an awesome space battle, space battle, and the Ewoks, and then uh, that's it. So what really gives everything, everything, all of the emotional drama is uh, the Emperor and Luke and Vader. So, in the rough draft. Uh, Vader's audience with the Emperor occurs at the beginning of the movie, right after Leia has been given clearance uh, to land on the green moon. Vader and the Grand Moff arrive on Had Abaddon, descend into a vast steaming pit, and reach the level of the throne room, which looks out over a fuming lake of red lava. They approach a small shrouded figure, sitting on an island in the middle of the volcanic lake. This is the Emperor, supreme ruler of the Galactic Empire, and master of the dark side of the Force. Both Vader and Jadir kneel before him. The Emperor tells Vader that he's been away too long and that his power has weakened. Luke Skywalker is more powerful than ever and must be destroyed. Vader means to reply, but suddenly his breathing start stops. His breathing stops and he starts choking. He collapses to the ground. The Emperor lowers his hand and Vader starts breathing again. His struggles, He struggles and he gets back on his knees. Finally, the Emperor says that Luke is his to destroy and asks Vader to leave. Once the Dark Lord is gone, the Emperor tells J- Jarid to watch Vader closely. He wants him to think that Luke is to be destroyed when in fact, he will take Vader's place at his side. The Emperor also reveals that he knows that the rebels are getting ready to attack. In the revised rough, rough draft, on a Star Destroyer, Vader asks Admiral Piet where he can find Grand Moff J- Piet explains that he is in the private communications chamber, all surveillance in the room has been cut off, and his coded transmission is undecipherable. Piet also informs Vader that the extra patrol has arrived on the Sanctuary Moon, with General Veers under command to search for rebels. In the the communication chamber, Jaegerid kneels before a huge holographic image of the Emperor, who orders him to bring Skywalker directly to him and says that Vader should know nothing of their conversation. Jarrett says that the rebel attack should distract him from Luke and enable the Emperor to take control of the new Jedi Knight. Now, Lawrence Kasdan said of this, I, "This is great stuff." Obviously, budgetary concerns, I'm sure, led to them not creating a fucking lava lake in the 19 early 1980s when they were filming this. I think they were filming filmed it in '81. But Lawrence Kasdan said of this, uh, my sense of the relationship is that the Emperor is much more powerful than Vader and that Vader is very much intimidated by him. Vader has dignity, but the Emperor in Return of the Jedi really has all the power. Says Lucas, I didn't want Vader to be all powerful. In the first film, it was very easy to make him into some kind of superhero, but I decided not to do that. In fact, he is one of the Dark Lords who is working for the Emperor and he has to do the Emperor's bidding. You will see at some point in the future that the Jedi have the same relationship to the Republic. They're like public servants. They're like marshals or policemen. They basically do what they're told to do. They're not independent agents who can do whatever they want. In the case of the Jedi, they all work for the Republic. And in the case of the Sith Lords, plural, he was saying this in 1997, they work for the Empire. So I obviously didn't want to make Vader too weak, but I didn't want to make him so that you thought he was in charge of everything. That's why I had Tarkin in the first film. That brings to mind something that I was talking about when the Obi-Wan Kenobi series came out. People were saying, they were complaining that Obi-Wan Kenobi in that series does not find out that Darth Vader exists. Meaning he doesn't find out that Anakin Skywalker is still alive until he is told that. And it's 10 years since Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, again, always looking for trouble. Fucking Star Wars fans, they're saying, how would he not know that the second most powerful man in the universe, the second in command of the Empire, wasn't uh, around. How would he not have not heard of Darth Vader? Well, there's your answer. And I, I said it at the time. Darth Vader, first of all, he was not second in command of the Empire. That's just Lucas just explained that. But no one bothers to read these fucking books. And this book isn't like in a YouTube video that's, that you can watch in 15 minutes. So uh, you, know, you have to listen to a long-form podcast or just read it. And uh, George Lucas, Lucas explains that Darth Vader is not all powerful, he's not in charge, he's not even second in command. Tarkin was second in command. And then in the original Return of the Jedi, he's got this Jar who I mean, who actually is a character in Return of the Jedi. But in the original draft, he was like this character that was basically talking shit to Vader, and the Emperor was telling him, you know, I want Darth Vader out of the way because I'm going to kill him and get Luke Skywalker to take over for him, which is hinted at in the actual movie, or it's, I don't know i, mean, I don't know if hint is the right word, but, you know, the Emperor does tell Luke to strike Vader down and take his place at his side. So, you know, he is telling him that, but in this version, it was, you know, it's a little more conniving. Get Vader out of the way, and Jared, you know, we're going to take care of him and then uh, take care of him? Yes, take care of him. And then uh, we'll have Luke be the, the Sith Lord, one of many Sith Lords, apparently. But that's the answer to your question, Star Wars fans, about, uh, well, it's not your, your, your question, but your screaming, your outrage about Darth Vader not being known by Obi-Wan Kenobi was because, uh, you know, he was just basically like, uh, I said this at the time, he was the muscle. He was like a hitman for the Emperor. He got shit done. He was like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Uh, he, was not, he was not a bureaucrat. <laughs> he was not making speeches. I think we've already talked about that on this podcast, but that is the uh, that is the answer from the horse's mouth from George Lucas, right there. Uh, let's talk about the Ewoks. Let's talk about the Ewoks for a moment and what George Lucas had to say. Originally, it was going to be Kashyyyk, which would have been very cool. But again, I think budgetary you know constraints, technology at the time, Kashyyyk looks Pretty fucking cool in Revenge of the Sith. I don't know how they would have been able to pull that off in Return of the Jedi. And said, George Lucas, of that, the Wookiee planet that I created for Star Wars eventually turned into the Ewok planet in Jedi. I basically cut the Wookies in half and called them Ewoks, which is Wookiees backwards, right? I didn't make Endor a Wookiee planet because Chewbacca was so sophisticated technologically and I wanted the characters involved in the battle to be primitive. That's why I used Ewoks instead. So there you go. Just wanted it. We originally was gonna be a Wookiee planet, but uh, didn't, uh, Wookiees were too sophisticated, I guess. Probably more that the budget was too sophisticated and the technology needed was too sophisticated. But nevertheless, uh, that's what George Lucas decided to do. He cut them in half, as he said, and he, and he reversed the names and he called them the Ewoks. Uh, let's get to um, the battle now as I tell you a little bit more about Return of the Jedi that you may never, ever have known before. Now, at the end of Return of the Jedi, obviously it is the most robust ending to any Star Wars movie in the original trilogy. Uh, There's three battles going on at once. George Lucas, of course, topped that in The Phantom Menace when he has four battles going on at once. But in Return of the Jedi, only three, only three battles at once. And uh, what he says is this. There are a lot of different activities going on simultaneously. And to edit that sequence was one of the toughest things to do because it's hard to storyboard it out and to figure out exactly how everything fits together. It's very difficult when you have actions happening at the same time. And you're trying to make it one cohesive idea and make it one thing that leads to another, even though the three sets of action seem very separate. One character has to do one thing in order to trigger the next thing to happen, even though they're physically not connected. Steven Spielberg is very good with this kind of thing. He really knows how to storyboard something and shoot exactly what he needs and put it all together. I'm not able to work that way. I try to cover things, try to figure out how to cut it all together later. I'm a little more organic in the way I approach things. That used to be true. I know that uh, in later in his career, George Lucas storyboarded the shit out of everything digitally. Um, One other thing about uh, the emperor and his cave and his lava field? Ralph McQuarrie, who designed all of the iconic sets and designs and everything of the original Star Wars movie, said The Emperor was going to be in a cave surrounded by lava. The throne room was down on the lower levels of what turned out to be the Empire's headquarter planet. I imagined it to be dark and spooky, with, an enor- with enormous buildings and a metal surface, and down below, huge avenues like on Wall Street in Manhattan. George stated that he wanted a planet that was a city with endless built up areas. In my mind, it was built a thousand years ago, layer after layer. The Emperor's office would be at the bottom of it, so far down that you would have lava. And then George Lucas says uh, of that, In the end, it didn't seem necessary to show the home planet of the Empire. seemed more important than we focus on the major target of what we were going after in the movie. So to show Vader and the Emperor in an area that didn't relate to the story didn't seem necessary. Of course, I had a million different names for the home planet of the Empire. But Coruscant? came out of publishing. Doesn't even doesn't even fucking say the book. Why? Doesn't know, doesn't care, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't know, doesn't care. Here's a very cool thing that we all love. Force ghosts. What can they do? What can they not do? Well, there may have been an answer in Return of the Jedi in the early drafts. In a revised rough draft, Luke and a guard enter the vast throne room. On the far side of the room, a long white, flight, wide flight of stairs leads to a throne. The emperor asks Luke to approach. Young Skywalker tells the emperor that he cannot turn him to the dark side as he did to his father. The emperor says, I didn't turn him, he did it to himself. And Luke, you will do the same. Luke replies that he'll never turn to the dark side. And the emperor orders his guards to take him to the tombs. Luke later lies unconscious on a small island in the middle of the lake of lava. A hot wind blows across his face and wakes him. He suddenly becomes aware of a presence behind him, and he looks back to see Ben in the flesh. Ben explains that he's come back to help Luke destroy the emperor and his father. Yoda appears with Ben at his side. Yoda will also be able to help him from the netherworld. George Lucas, quote, Even though at some point Yoda and Ben interfered, I eventually decided that they couldn't connect physically with what Luke was doing. I felt that one of the major issues in the third film is that Luke is finally on his own and he has to fight Vader and the Emperor by himself. If you get a sense that Yoda or Ben is in there to help him or somehow influence him, it diminishes the power of the scene. Now, there's a couple things about that. The first is, I don't know if George Lucas means that that Force Ghosts can't, physically interact with anything because Ben Kenobi earlier in this very movie that we are talking about sits down on a tree stump when he's talking to Luke he sits down on a log so he can interact uh, even when he's walking into the like the forest to talk to Luke on Dagobah he's kind of like maneuvering through like trees and stuff he's not like just flo- he's not just walking through shit like he's not immune to the physical reality around him he is subject to it so this caused a lot of, you know, <laughs> outrage as usual in that, um, like in Rise of Skywalker, Luke physically lifts his X-wing and Yoda physically makes lightning bolts strike the, the tree in The Last Jedi. And people said, "Ah, oh, you know, force ghosts, they can't do physically, they can't interact with the physical world. Well, they can obviously, because Ben sits down on the log, but then here George Lucas is saying that they can't, uh. What does he exactly say? I I eventually decided that he couldn't connect physically with what Luke was doing. So my take on that is, goes back to something Obi-Wan Kenobi said in The Empire Strikes Back when he said, uh, you know, if you choose to face Vader, you'll do it alone. I cannot interfere. So my take on that is that we know that they can interact with the physical world. It is a question of them interacting with sort of the mechanisms of, the conflicts of the force so if luke and the emperor darth vader if they're fighting it's like the force at that point is battling right it's not just the 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 actors within the situation that are determining the outcome it is also the force itself because it's constantly struggling to find its own balance so the force is part of what dictates the outcome of some of those those fights that's something that george lucas has talked about in the past too so my feeling is just that you know, Ben and Yoda jump, like jumping in and like tag teaming with Luke to kill the Emperor and Vader is throwing off the balance of the force. But, uh, Luke lifting his X-Wing out of the water or Yoda making a lightning strike, really not a big deal. Not disrupting the balance of the force, not, uh, not doing, that's not a big deal. Nothing, nothing to be tweeting about. Nothing to be tweeting about. Uh, but a little bit more about Force Ghosts appearing, it goes on to say later, in a rough draft, Ben's image appears in the Emperor's throne room, and he tells the Emperor that he overestimates his abilities. Yoda also appears, and suddenly the Emperor starts panicking. He orders Vader to destroy his son. The, th- the saber by the throne flies into Luke's hands, and the fight begins with Vader and Luke jumping from one rock to another over a bubbling pool of lava. Of <laughs> lava. Jabba. Lava! a bubbling pool of lava. Obviously, uh, that idea was used later in Revenge of the Sith. And good, I'm glad that they waited for Mount Etna to erupt so they could film that and use it as the backdrop for that wonderful fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan. In a revised rough draft on Hadabadon, Vader goes to meet the Emperor. Remember, in this draft, Luke has been taken prisoner by the Emperor. Two guards try to stop him at the door to the throne room. Both guards are stopped in their tracks, drop their weapons, and grab their throats, gasping for air. Vader marches into the throne room, asking the Emperor where Luke is. The Emperor raises his hand, and Vader starts choking. Again, this is happening. The Emperor tells him that the boy is his to train, and that Vader's place is with his fleet. Vader asks for forgiveness and leaves. Later, after the Emperor has found out that the rebel fleet has jumped to hyperspace and is on its way for attack, he takes an elevator down to the tombs where Luke is kept prisoner. Vader follows him. Luke and Ben, remember in this draft, Ben has come back in the flesh to help Luke. Feel the presence of the Emperor and Vader approaching. They keep saying in the flesh too. So I, I don't even know if that's Force Ghost. I think that's in the flesh. Ben is worried that the two of them could destroy Luke. The Emperor walks in and tells Ben that the boy is his. The image of Yoda appears, threatening him. Vader approaches and tells the Emperor that it's too late to turn the boy to the dark side. Luke and Ben must be destroyed. So yeah, I guess Ben Kenobi is just a fucking person again in this draft. Luke reaches out and Vader's laser sword leaps out of his belt into the young Jedi's hands. The Emperor pulls a sword out of his sleeve and throws it to Vader, telling him to destroy Luke. The fight begins. Dude, I don't know about you. I love the ending of Return of the Jedi as it is. I mean, Luke is cowering he's not cowering he's hiding in the corner because he doesn't want to fight vader i will not fight you and then vader starts uh getting into his head he's figuring out that his his friends his love for his friends betrays him especially for a sister so you have a twin sister if you cannot be turned perhaps she will and luke screams never and the fucking music swells, and they have that that shot of the this is this the shot that's moving along with them as they're fighting, and then it culminates with Luke cutting off the hand. I mean, emotionally, you cannot top that. But this Force Ghost shit is awesome, and I I wonder why when they made Rise of Skywalker they didn't just like crib from this Force Ghosts popping up lightsabers exchanging hands flying out of people's belts Lu- luke skywalker could have come back in the flesh like in the flesh and then you could have ended the movie with him in the flesh <laughs> going stop saying in the flesh never in the flesh luke skywalker just as ben kenobi did in this draft so uh yeah I mean, I, it, look, first of all, I, I understand Lucas's logic that if you have all of them fighting, then Luke's not on his own and it's his journey ultimately. So you got to have him do it on his own. I get that. But Force Ghosts coming back to life, just popping up and throwing each other lightsabers and stuff. Jesus, that is awesome. A little more about the throne room here and then we'll wrap things up pretty soon. Because I'm sure you're sick of hearing me talk, which doesn't make any sense because you could have just turned this off. What are you waiting for? Why are you being so polite? I don't know. I can't, I'm not here with you. Uh, I have no idea if you're listening or not. In the, anyway, in the rough draft, during the final fight, Luke cuts off Vader's artificial arm. The Emperor tells Vader that he is old and weak. The Emperor is such a dick to Vader in this original draft. If he had destroyed Luke, he would have been given half the Empire to rule. Now the boy himself will have that honor. Vader begs his son to kill him, but Luke says that he only fights in self-defense. He switches off his weapon and throws it to his father. The people, Lightsaber's fucking changing hands like a basketball in this draft. Just passing, passing, passing. The Emperor orders Vader to kill Luke. In the revised rough draft, Ben and the Emperor watch Luke fight against Vader. Ben tells the Emperor that Luke is stronger than he imagines and has many allies. A crashing blow by Luke causes Vader to lose his balance and he falls on one of the small rock islands. His sword, hand landing in the molten lava, his sword hand landing in the molten lava. Vader expects Luke to strike him. The Emperor tells him to kill Vader. but Luke says he will not turn to the dark side. In the rough draft, as in the, as in the film, Vader can, cannot bring himself to destroy Luke. The Emperor raises his hands, causing lightning bolts to strike Luke. Luke raises his hands in defense, and the bolts are deflected by an invisible shield. Whenever a bolt hits... The images of Ben and Yoda appear momentarily at the point of impact. The bolts become more intense and Luke drops to his knees under the pressure. Suddenly the Emperor feels a disturbance. He turns and sees Vader coming at him. Vader grabs the Emperor and they both fall into a lake of lava. In the revised rough draft, the Emperor raises his hands causing lightning to strike Ben. Luke leaps in front of him and raises his hands and the bolts are deflected by an invisible shield. Whenever a bolt hits, the image of Yoda appears momentarily the bolts become more intense ben is knocked unconscious and luke drops to his knees as in the previous draft vader grabs the emperor and they fall into the lake of lava ben and luke realize that vader has turned to the good side during story meetings lawrence castin suggested that in order to give an emotional twist to the story luke should die <laughs> he's killed off he's killed off lando he's killed off Han. and he's killed off luke I, yeah. <laughs> look, I know the fact that me reading that and being surprised at it and laughing proves that I did not read this before I did the podcast. Uh, I, I've read this book before. I, I've talked about it. There's a lot of things I remember from it, and I've always talked about them. Even on this podcast, I've brought stuff up from this book, but I did not remember that one. And when I was going... <laughs> When I was getting ready to do this, I, I had little post it notes that I was putting on certain pages because I would start reading something and kind of skim through it and be like, yeah, no, this is good. I'll read this. Skip all the shit about the Endor Moon. Uh, you know, get through Java's Palace as quickly as possible. Uh, and I was looking at, you know, in the revised draft, the Emperor raises his hands, lightning strikes Ben. Uh, I did not see this sentence Luke should die and his sister. I, so, okay. Yeah. During the story meetings, Lawrence Caston suggested that in order to give an emotional twist to the story, Luke should die and his sister should take over at the end. George Lucas was opposed to this idea, arguing how upset he was as a child when a hero was killed. George Lucas. It really would have put, put an unfortunate twist on everything if we had killed off one of the main characters. Luke needed to live, and we needed to have Han and Leia together at the end. The fact that the boy gets the girl, or the girl gets the boy, in the end, that was a key factor and was as important as Luke overcoming his demons. At the same time, I realized that if I could kill off Luke if I wanted to, and if I tried to play that up as much as I could, it was conceivable that Luke could die to t- or turn to the dark side, and if he did, it would be up to Leia to redeem everyone. Another idea that Lawrence Kasdan had for the ending was to kill Darth Vader, the Emperor, Luke, Ben... I'm just kidding. Another dark, another dark idea that Lawrence Kasdan had for the ending was to have Luke put on Vader's mask and say that he is now going to destroy the Rebel fleet and roll the universe. It was discussed that in his confrontation with the Emperor, Luke could pretend that he had turned to the dark side. The Emperor would then take him to the controls and tell him to destroy the rebel fleet. Instead, Luke would aim at the Emperor's home planet of Had Abaddon and destroy it. Man, I I gotta tell you, I I really would have loved to have seen this movie also. I love Return of the Jedi as it is. I I don't love all of it. Some of it is boring to me. Although when I saw it in the movie theater, I was not bored for not for one second. But uh, yeah, this is um, this is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Moving on about uh, Vader taking off his mask, George Lucas says, I didn't have a very specific idea about what Vader might look like underneath the mask. I knew that he had been in a lot of battles. And at one point, I thought that he had had a confrontation with Ben and that Ben had sent him into a volcano. He was all but dead. And basically, he was manufactured back together, even though there was very little left left of him. So he's kind of this three-quarter mechanical man, one-quarter human, and the suit he's wearing is like a walking iron lung. By the time we got to the third film, we were able to articulate what Vader looked like underneath the mask. But until then, I just knew that he was pretty messed up, simply because he could barely breathe or speak. That is... uh, that's fantastic because that was in, uh, 97 that this book came out. I don't know if the interview itself was in 97. I think it was probably like around 95 because when they're referring to the special editions, they're, they're talking about it in future tense. So the special editions came out in 1997. So I'm imagining it's probably mid nineties that he said that, but I, I love that he said that, uh, Ben Kenobi had threw him into Volcano. And in one of my manifestos slash pamphlets, uh, from, uh, the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, I, I talked about that uh, that quote, and I, I, I said that it was uh, it was a safe bet to put your money on uh, Darth Vader and uh, Ben Kenobi fighting on a volcano. And as a matter of fact, uh, our old friend Bobby Chastain reminded me of that. He said, uh, "Yeah, they're gonna fight uh, in lava." I said what the fuck are you talking about and he said yeah remember george lucas like he used to say that uh darth vader got thrown into a volcano and that's how he became uh had to wear the suit and everything and uh i i I was all mad i thought that bob was was pulling my leg uh, but it turns out he was not and that's uh i think that was around the time i bought this book so it had already been out a couple of years but i i read that and i profusely apologized to bob for wanting him to be thrown into a volcano just for fucking with me like that because it turns out he was right george lucas thought that all along just like he thought everything all along ladies and gentlemen as you can see by my reading of this book there was never anything that was in question uh one through nine solid in george lucas's mind he never had any other ideas he never had anyone help him write he did he did everything on his own he drew all the special effects Uh, These movies are just as they were when they were released in in 1977, 1980, 1983, 1999, 2002, 2005. He has not uh, put a CGI Yoda in The Phantom Menace where a puppet used to be nothing. The man has never changed his mind. And uh, all Disney does is piss in his mouth all day. Cue the hot chick. I'm not going to cue the hot chick just yet. I want to end on a good note. (laughs) I highly encourage you If you're a Star Wars fan of any stripe, look, if you're making fucking six figures on YouTube, putting up clickbait Kathleen Kennedy articles every day, go just do your thing, you be you, and just enjoy yourself and, you know, make your money off people that love to do that shit. Um, I almost had interviewed slash was almost interviewed by two different YouTubers, one that is totally into that kind of thing. And and I had this. I, I just said no. I'm not gonna do that because I don't want to be put into the position of Disney's like public defender because I have enough problems with some of the stuff they've done on my own. Just like I had problems with some of the shit George Lucas has done, but you know more so with Disney because they have way more content because they release stuff every five minutes. But it's like I I I told the guy uh, it was it was uh, I'll give him a plug. Fine if you want to go see their shit. Uh, Echo Base Network. Echo Base Network said I come on their show and like you know like defend but I was like I'm not I'm i not want to play Disney attorney and if I if I just sit there and say well yeah you got a point there but I think this then there's no that's not fun There's another YouTuber who I won't name because there's still a chance that he might come on at some point who actually does kind of play it straight down the middle the way we do like he is able to see all of the angles he doesn't just gravitate towards getting people angry and, uh, you know, he is doesn't have as many subscribers as most of the hate channels. But anyway, if you wanna do that, you go ahead. You go ahead and do that. But if you're not making money off of enjoying uh, the failures of Star Wars instead of the, success, the successes, I highly encourage you, regardless of what your age is and regardless of what your gateway into Star Wars was, to enjoy Star Wars for what it is that you are enjoying at the time. I have always been someone who has not bought into the idea that Star Wars should have this massive comic book style universe of canon, with apologies to Charlie Crafty, who hates that word, but that the canon of Star Wars basically like the way it was like in the 90s where the movies were the things and then you had these offshoot novels and stuff and it was like a lot of them sucked and there were video games and those were mostly good and then there were these comic books that were absolute fucking garbage and yeah there was good and there was bad and there was everything in between but then there were the movies and i've always thought that if if you if you just watch them as their own thing as their own story and don't get so tied up in, like, how this connects to this and how that connects to that and how the comic book says this and this has got to match up to that. You'll have a better time. Because you can still read all that stuff. Like, I have read, I've got a bookshelf of, like, it's, I've got a bookcase where, like, four shelves are nothing but, like, the newer Star Wars books. And then I've got, you know, some of the old ones that I liked, too, still. Um, the What they call Legends now, which, by the way, also... Also, just for, for people who constantly talk about extended universe books from the 90s being decanonized, A, they were never canon. George Lucas said so, that they were never canon. And B, uh, the, they're called legends. They, they didn't rename them not canon. They, rena- they renamed them legends. And a legend is something that may or may not have existed. So the stories that you read in these these old books, are not necessarily, they're not any more or less valuable in the lineage of Star Wars storytelling than they were before. If they're directly contradicted by something in a movie or something, fine. Yes, I guess they are at that point. But whatever. I encourage you to to just take everything as it is and you, that doesn't mean you have to enjoy it. You can fucking hate it. But, oh, it destroys the canon. It destroys the can Stop with the canon. Stop with the, you know, if if you don't like The Last Jedi because of the way Luke Skywalker acts, just fucking throw it in the goddamn ash can, please. Don't ever watch it again. You don't need The Mandalorian. Like, a lot of people wanted The Mandalorian to, to somehow... Uh, change it so that the sequels never happened. And they were all hopeful that Ahsoka would would do that, that she was going to go into the world between worlds, which is a a thing from the Rebels animated series, and change the future so that the sequels never happen. They don't have... Just don't worry about them. And then if you see some shit on a TV show that references the sequels, it doesn't mean you have to go watch the sequels or like delve deep into thought about it. I realize that for some people younger who like that was like their first big star wars experience in the theater and they'd grown to love star wars through the dvds and the blu-rays and the books and then they go to see last jedi and their fucking ryan johnson just punches you in the face i get it i get it 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 hurts your feelings makes me sad when star wars isn't good doesn't really make me angry it just makes me sad because i'd like to see it do better uh You know, I'm really, on this show, I don't really offer answers or solutions. Every time I do an alien thing, I always say it's up to you, and it is up to you how you want to enjoy Star Wars. If you want to hate it, if you want to dance around the burning flames of every uh, episode of The Mandalorian that isn't good, or when a hotel closes or whatever, you go right ahead and do that. My suggestion to you, though, is just to enjoy what Star Wars you put in front of you, and if you don't enjoy it, slide it aside. There's plenty more where that came from. And if you just want to like George Lucas' Star Wars, that's fine but try to understand what George Lucas star Wars actually is. It was a process, a process that went over the course of like 20 years as he kept retooling 25 years, as he kept retooling the films, almost 30 years actually of fixing, tweaking, doing this, doing that, adding this, taking this out, Clone Wars cartoon, like to, put things in different contexts and stuff bringing darth maul back to life changing his mind all the time look at this whole story of return of the jedi that i that i read to you that we didn't even know and there's plenty more where that came from in star wars the annotated Screenplays by uh laurent bozru again that's uh that's what i think if you're still listening thank you for listening to me i hope you got something out of this i hope there was some sort of enjoyment uh, that you got at some point and i will see you or at least uh speak to you uh, a lot sooner next time it won't be uh, you know more than two months before the next episode I can promise you that I can promise you that we'll talk about Skinwalker Ranch and all that stuff maybe even Crabtree will come on the show we'll see we'll have a good time until then happy birthday to Return of the Jedi happy birthday to the original Star Wars which also came out on the 25th may the force be with you and cue the hot chick Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast.